This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under the radar statewide story that affects you. State government has been dominating the news cycle for most of the past year during the pandemic, but there's one agency that we honestly used to pay a lot of attention to, and that agency has been pretty quiet on the news front lately. But regulators are still dealing with big issues. PFAS, chemicals in our water, the Line 5 oil and gas pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac, lead service lines, all of those things are still issues here in Michigan. That's right. And the agency tasked with dealing with them is the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, also known as EGLE. Insert EGLE sound effect here. Don't worry, I'll get that in post-production, guys. Uh, But that's the department formerly known as the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality, or DEQ. You might remember that one from the Flint water crisis. But since Governor Whitmer and new director Liesl Clark took over... Not nearly as many headlines. So we wanted to catch up on the work that Eagle is doing with none other than the director herself, Lisa Clark. Welcome to Mishmash. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start with uh, an issue uh, that we've been talking about for a long time, and that's PFAS, chemicals in drinking water. Uh, those chemicals are linked to serious health issues, including cancer. Uh, chemical manufacturer 3M is suing the state of Michigan, trying to invalidate our new drinking water standards for PFAS chemicals, saying that they were created under a, quote, rushed and invalid regulatory process. I'm curious what your response is to that. Well, it certainly wasn't a rushed and invalidatory invalidated process. It was a a, um, methodical process. Um, It is important to move with urgency. Uh, We know that as we're looking across the state, um, we are one of the leading states in terms of looking for these chemicals. And I was talking to um, a director from another state and they said, you know, Michigan's got uh, examples of this contamination. We're up to um, just over 160 sites. And I said, yeah, You've got them too, you're just not looking for them. Um, We are leading the nation when it comes to uh, determining uh, the impact uh, that the PFAS chemicals are having across the state. And so it was really clear um, that what we needed was um, some clear uh, scientific uh, data-driven approach um, to how are we handling Uh, the chemicals in our water. Um, And so the governor asked the department uh, about 18 months ago now uh, to take a look at what the next steps were necessary under a statutory structure um, to put that in place for the state. Um, And it went through the regulatory structure um, with every checkbox uh, in the appropriate steps. Is there urgency? Absolutely. Um, Am I proud of the work that we did? I certainly am. So, Director, the EPA does not regulate PFAS in drinking water. And other than those new standards, what else is the department doing to sort of fill in that gap? And what are the limitations that you're finding in handling this entirely at the state level? Yeah, that's a great question. A really good point, which is the fact that um, EPA was using this 70 parts per trillion number um, that was like guidance that was theirs. Um, And so, again, one of the reasons why it was important for us, um, because we take public health seriously, uh, to step out in front of it on our own from a Michigan perspective. Um, So uh, we are continuing to work with EPA and trying to understand what steps might they take in the future um, and uh, also work with other states. So we talk with other states across the country and in particular in our Great Lakes region. Um, We have been partnering up uh, with our fellow Great Lakes states. We've created a Great Lakes PFAS caucus 
uh, to make sure that we are sharing our experiences and learning from one another. Um, and in fact, other states have been following our lead in terms of our response. And we've even seen some new uh, things that are happening in other states. Wisconsin's got a couple of things going on that, um, frankly, we haven't seen in Michigan yet. And so we can learn um, from working with our partners. Now, that being said, um, PFAS is one of the things uh, that we look at uh, from uh, the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy. There are um, many different types of contaminants that we like to keep our fingers on and make sure that we're doing everything within our power to protect uh, public health and the environment. And I think one of the important components here is what do we have from a resources perspective? So that's people and that's dollars. Um, and we are limited, we're constrained in the same way that, you know, um, everyone is constrained in their own individual budget. We are constrained with how much that we can do. And so we work really hard to prioritize and to make sure that we are um, spending as much time as possible on the, on the high, sites of highest concern. I wanted to talk a little bit about Line 5, uh, and uh, there's a lot of news around Line 5 right now. Enbridge Energy still pumping oil and gas through the pipeline under the Straits of Mackinac, despite Governor Whitmer's order to shut it down. The deadline to do that was earlier this month, uh, and the case is likely going to be resolved in court. But earlier this year, your department uh, approved permits for a proposed tunnel that would house a replacement Line 5 under the lake bed in the Straits. I'm curious, first of all, what is the status of that project? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, when we look at um, the Line 5 project under the Straits, from an Eagle perspective, there are a series of permits that Enbridge filed for. And you can check this all out on michigan.gov slash Line 5, um, where we've done, um, from a state of Michigan perspective, an effort to try to pull together the pieces that sit in different departments within state government. And there are, of course, um, pieces at the federal government level as well. Um, and so, as you correctly point out, our permits went through um, the public hearing process. Uh, we got a lot of comments, and in fact, we got comments that caused us to make changes um, to what uh, we had originally started with from a permit perspective. Um, so we really appreciate that uh, public opportunity to receive input. Uh, there's a lot of really good thinking across our state, and uh, we at the department know that we can learn um, from that back and forth and from receiving that additional input. And so those permits were issued um, based on, again, the statutory constraints that permits are issued under. Um, and in fact, you know, when we look at these things, it's, it's, it's very binary within, you know, what is in the statutory structure and um, the parameters for the permitting process. Um, so the permits have been issued from the Eagle perspective, I think, as you did a a uh, nice segment uh, last episode um, on line five and Garrett took you through kind of the current state of play. The issue becomes, you know, um, how does the tunnel process kind of move forward in parallel with some of the other legal things that are playing out? Um, and so our job is um, to review permits when they are filed and then respond to those permits. And so we've taken that step. And so, you know, then um, how Enbridge decides to move forward, you know, that is a little bit outside of the realm of the Eagle process, but we want to make sure we're doing everything that's in our world um, to make sure that uh, we're responding appropriately to permits that are filed with us. Really quick follow up on that. Um, yeah. So the fact that permits are are approved, that doesn't necessarily mean that that project is happening. That's correct. So we approve permits all the time that are, you know, things that don't ever end up going further than that, right? So um, we respond to what's in front of us. 
And I think that there's probably a lot of confusion that some people might have when it comes to these permits, because on the one hand, we see the governor's administration moving to shut down Line 5. Uh, Attorney General Dana Nessel has been fighting the building of the tunnel. And then Eagle comes in and approves these permits. And I know that environmental groups have been very critical of these permits. I guess, how does how does all of this work out between the different departments? And how do you respond to all of the environmental criticism of, of approving the permits? Well, again, what we have in front of us is the permits that were filed, and then we have to respond to them based on statute. And so when you step back, you can look at the things that are happening in the street. You can look at things that happen in different parts of the state, frankly. Permits are not about anybody's opinion. Uh, permits are about what is actually filed with us and then what are what is in statute in terms of how do we respond um, and so that's that's the work that we do. Um, it's fairly cut and dried, frankly, and perhaps maybe even a little bit boring from some respects. Um, the pieces that you see of activity moving in other parts of department, other parts of state government, and other departments, you know, they're also defined by um, their statute, right? Same thing for public service commission, et cetera. So uh, it is uh, a complicated challenge, I think. And I think that it does take um, a lot of different perspectives. So, you know, our role really was looking at the wetlands and the water discharge. Um, in our, we are agnostic as to why the permits are being sought. Like that's not a question that we can ask, if that makes sense, based on statute. So going a little bit more sort of 10,000 foot view here, when when Governor Whitmer was running for governor and after she was sworn in as well, she said that it was sort of a false choice between being environmentally friendly and business friendly at the same time. Uh, We've been talking about companies like 3M and Enbridge here. Uh, but, uh, you know, again, the, the idea was that you could be both of those things. Uh, but now that you've been in this position for a couple of years, what does the reality of that equation look like on a day-to-day basis? Well, I absolutely think that protecting the environment is not is something that can be done um, in parallel with economic development and with our economy. I think that part of the reason um, that we love Michigan is because of how beautiful our natural resources are. And our natural resources are part of the reason that um, our economy works here too. Like the things work hand in hand. Um, And there are lots of opportunities uh, in our climate work, in our mobility work, uh, in our water infrastructure work, where we see the economic development coming out directly out of public policy. There's lots of places where economic development comes out of public policy. So for example, um, Governor Whitmer proposed the My Clean Water Plan in the fall, um, which was uh, half a billion dollars of investment in our water infrastructure, which it hurts me to say out loud, really is only a drop in the bucket in terms of the um, disinvestment that's happened in our water infrastructure over the past decades. Um, You can see this certainly in lead service line replacement, which is estimated to be over $1 billion necessary, $1 billion necessary um, to replace the lead service lines uh, in the state of Michigan. Um, You can see this in uh, combined sewer overflows. You can see this in um, failing septic systems. Um, And what we know is that when we invest in water infrastructure, um, uh, the EPA has an estimate that for every $1 million invested, it creates 7,500 jobs. Uh, So what a great opportunity um, to do the improvements that are necessary in our state um, and uh, at the same time uh, creating jobs doing it. And frankly, we are not going to be successful 
with our business uh, uh, retention and attraction if we are not as a state investing in some of this core infrastructure. Um, so I absolutely think uh, these things go hand in hand. We have all been dealing with the pandemic for over a year now. And I'm curious, how has the COVID-19 pandemic affected your work? I'm thinking things like inspections, testing, public hearings, and all those other things that Eagle does to make sure that people are following the rules to protect the environment. Has has it had a, a negative impact? And has there been anything that you've been able to take away and been like, hey, maybe this is a better way of doing things? We've learned a ton over the last 14 months. And I think um, our team is thinking a lot about cataloging that and how that helps us when we reassemble um, and come back to um, kind of working in a structure that looks more similar to what it did in the past. Um, but that being said, there's there are a lot of things that are positives that we've learned. Um, I will say when, when we think about challenges, I think the biggest challenge was Nobody knew what we were looking at last spring. And so we ended up um, dealing with a hiring freeze um, right at a time where we had just been um, given the ability to do some additional hiring from the legislature, which we're really grateful for. And so we were just doing some hiring and all of a sudden we hit COVID. So we had a hiring freeze and then we hit um, uh, layoffs. Um, so we did temporary layoffs for the entire department and that really slowed us down. Um, and what that caused to happen was um, things to pile up uh, in terms of our backlog. And so it's been, that's been really tough. Um, we're still coming out of that and um, having conversations about, you know, what is necessary to make sure that we are not slowing down uh, economic development, but moving things through the process as appropriate. Now, that being said, there have been a lot of things that have gone really well. Um, our virtual public hearings have been really well attended. Um, we have had uh, people participate that probably wouldn't have driven to participate in person. Um, we have had um, the ability to do virtual conferences, which I can tell you some people were not really excited about, and I think that they've <laughs> been really positive. Will we do that 100% going forward? Probably not. It'll probably be some version of a hybrid model. We all know that broadband is a challenge across the state, and so when you do virtual public hearings, you have to have ways for people to call in and participate in other ways than just through the internet, because we know that that's uh, a limitation, both in our um, some areas of our urban cores as well as in many parts of the of the rural parts of the state. So um, it'll be a, it'll be a hybrid. But those are examples of things that you know have been real opportunities to learn, and I think are going to make us stronger going forward. I should say too that you know our lab has been working in person the whole time. It is critical that we continue with lead, copper, testing, manganese, et cetera. And those folks have been on the front line and doing an amazing job while balancing all the things that people are balancing in terms of um, kids with virtual learning, et cetera. Um, our staff have been in the field the whole time doing inspections. Um, and, you know, we've adapted some of that, but largely um, that, you know, in some cases we've done like virtual inspections and things like that. And some of those things might be an opportunity to, um, pick up in the future. Um, but that has gone largely very well. Um, so I would argue we really haven't missed a beat. Um, last week, we even had one of our detectives um, save somebody's life on their way to work. Uh, they saw a car roll into a ditch and pulled over and broke, she broke the window with her hand 
um, and uh, used a defibrillator to get this guy breathing again. Wow. And, you know, she's probably the reason he's still alive. So we just, we have an, we really have an amazing team and I am so proud to work with them. This is every Mishmash listener's favorite question, by the way. It is budget season in Lansing right now. I'm curious what your big priorities for there and what your thoughts are as uh, the budgets move forward. Um, what is Eagle's budget looking like uh, in all of this? And um, how hopeful are you that your your biggest priorities will be met? Well, I am very hopeful, first of all. I feel like we've had um, a real opportunity to lay out um, how the work at Eagle touches everybody across the state. We touch all 83 counties. More than 50% of our budget actually goes right back out the door um, and is dollars that are spent in local communities. And so we want to do that effectively and efficiently. Um, but I'm very hopeful that that value that people see um, from the department, whether it's um, you know permitting and inspections, dealing with high waters, whether it's dealing with um, resiliency issue from our changing climate, or if it's brownfields, um, you know, there's just any number of ways that we touch uh, communities across the state. So I'm very hopeful. Um, I think that um, my biggest concern goes back to my answer from a pre previous question. We need people and we need dollars in order to do this work. And, you know, you think about the contaminated sites um, that we have across the state, and you can only go so far through that list um when you only have so many dollars and you know i know we're not going to have an unlimited checkbook and i certainly wouldn't ask for that um but i do think that um the more that we can uh, move the needle on that contaminated site cleanup work uh certainly the happier i am and the more that i feel like we're able to uh, uh meet our mission um i think you know we've really laid out the my clean water plan as a huge priority um we've asked for um, additional people to help with um you know a variety of different places and water resources work we do have fees that are up and so we've had conversations with our friends at the legislature you know and i think that you know there's a willingness to have a discussion because some things should be paid for by general state taxes or general funds, you know, as the nomenclature is in Lansing. Some things should be paid for in terms of a, a service that's provided, right? So, for example, your public drinking water system, while we oversee it at a regulatory level, your water is provided through your public drinking water system. One of the services that we provide is we provide an operator training to make sure that the people that are running your water system are doing it safely. That operator training fee has not been changed in quite some time. And you know, you can think of it sort of like a continuing education credit, but even more important because it's regulatory. And so we've been talking to the legislature about we think it's time. It doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't make sense to be doing paper tests that are happening in rooms. You know, these are things that uh, that where you have to send in a paper check. There's so much opportunity to modernize, and that can be supported through something like this. And so, you know, we're having those types of discussions with the legislature. You know, I'm hopeful. I think there's a real opportunity. Um, one of the things that my team also hears me talk about all the time is we um, really need updates to our information technology systems. We need and are pushing hard to be more transparent. Um, you know this from the FOIA world. We want, we don't want you to have to FOIA. I mean, obviously you have to FOIA something at some point, but we, we want that data to be out there. We want that to be transparent and available to the public. And so that's something that I'm constantly talking to the team about. When I came in, there were 70 different databases and we've uh, decreased that, but not as much as I'd like to. And that is better for everybody that we serve, our 10 million residents. It's also better for our team. Um, because our team um, is able to be more effective and efficient in what they're doing out in the field. 
but you know, paper files and it's just, it's, it's really, it's really quite shocking how much we still have on paper. Um, and in fact, you know, it's interesting. Um, my team makes this point to me all the time. You know, obviously there's lots of talk about FOIA and about transparency, which is something that we're really committed to. When you look at our FOIAs, most of our FOIAs are not media FOIAs. Most of our FOIAs are businesses, are um, other types of um, input that people are wanting to get that data. We don't, again, we want to just have that out and accessible um, and visible to the public, whenever there's not confidential information in it, of course, that would need to be redacted. But we have 15,000 annual FOIA requests. So um, information technology to help us do all of that and to serve our 10 million residents um, more effectively and efficiently is something that I'd really love to see. Um, you know, I'm proud of the communications work that we're doing. We just had an environmental justice conference, um, the first of its kind in Michigan last week with more than 1,500 people participating. And, um, you know, I just, I really um, am excited about the ways that we're moving the needle. And I'm very hopeful that uh, what we see come out of this budget process will be aligned with what we need to do to help the state move forward. Liesl Clark is director of the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. Director Clark, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Mishmash today. Thanks for having me. And that's all for Mishmash. I'm Shana Roth. And I'm Jake Neer. Thanks for listening. 